Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 649 for release on Sunday, August 1st, 2021. On WaveScan today, the radio scene on the world's most isolated island. Finally, details about the 2021 NASB annual meeting and your chance to visit WEWN shortwave. Also our Japan DX report on WaveScan today. Modern geographers inform us that the world's most isolated island is the barren, frozen, and windswept island called Bouvet in the South Atlantic Ocean. This small, uninhabited island is located somewhere between South America, South Africa, and Antarctica, more than a thousand miles distant from each continent. Ray Robinson tells us more. Thanks, Jeff. Bouvet Island is a very rugged island, perhaps almost circular or perhaps almost square in shape, and its total area is a sparse 19 square miles, 93% of which is permanently covered with ice and snow. The island has never been inhabited, and it's the top of an extinct and largely underwater volcano. The centre of the island is simply a quiescent ice-filled caldera. Even though covered by heavy glaciers, the ground temperature on the island, just one foot deep, is a surprising 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Over the past 300 years, Bouvet Island has undergone several name changes. When discovered by the French explorer Jean-Baptiste Charles Bouvet de Lozier in 1739, its location was charted incorrectly on the map, and it was named as Cape Bouvet rather than Bouvet Island. The island was not rediscovered until two-thirds of a century later by the British whaler Captain James Lindsay in 1808. He discovered that the so-called Cape was just the edge of a small island, and shall we say with a touch of unique modesty, Captain Lindsay renamed the island in honour of himself, Lindsay Island. The first claim to a landing on the island was made in 1822 by an American sailor, Captain Benjamin Morell, who, again with typical modesty, added that difficult possibility to a long list of other impossibly grandiose lifetime accomplishments that he accorded to himself. Historians suggest that he may have sighted the island, though it's unlikely that he set foot on it. Some three years later again, in 1825, George Norris found the island once more, and he claimed it for the British Crown and gave it the name Liverpool Island. He also stated that another island lay nearby, Thompson Island, but this second island proved to be a phantom island. A Norwegian expedition landed on the island in 1927. They claimed it for Norway, and they reverted the name of the island back to its original title, Bouvet Island, which it still carries to this day. The United Kingdom renounced all claims to Bouvet Island in 1930, due to unresolved questions about the authenticity of previous exploratory findings about the island. 
A second Norwegian expedition went to Bouvet Island during the following year, 1928, with the intent of establishing a weather radio station. However, they were unable to find a suitable location on the island for a small community of technical personnel, and the project was abandoned. The permanent ice cover, together with the steep, rubbly cliffs almost completely surrounding the island, made landing difficult, and thus establishing a permanent settlement was declared almost impossible. Nearly 30 years later, in 1955, a ship from South Africa, the Transvaal, was sent out, again to find a suitable location on the island for a radio-operated weather station. Once more, officialdom declared that the plan was almost a total impossibility. Another two years later again, 1957, an American ship, the West Wind, scouted the island for the same purpose, to establish a radio-operated weather station, and they also came to the same conclusion, that this was a geographic impossibility. Then in 1964, South Africa sent out two ships on another expedition to the island for the same purpose. These ships were the Royal Navy Antarctic vessel HMS Protector, together with a South African supply vessel, and again they came to the same conclusion regarding an automatically operated radio weather station. It was impossible. But, while ashore at the rubbly, difficult location, the technical personnel discovered a half-submerged lifeboat, a mystery that remained unanswered for several years. However, subsequent research discovered that a Russian whaling ship, the Slava 9, had called at Bouvet Island eight years earlier. A group of sailors from the Russian venture went ashore in a lifeboat, but they got caught on the island by bad weather. Two days later, they were airlifted out by helicopter and they abandoned the lifeboat in the shallow waters of the island. The Norwegian government sent out an official survey expedition during the summer of 1977, and during the following year, 1978, a permanent, automatically operated weather station was successfully installed. This radio-operated facility was installed near the northwest corner of Bouvet Island, though it's no longer operational. During the 1977 expedition, the Norwegian radio personnel operated a temporary amateur radio station on the island under the call sign 3Y5X. This was the first amateur radio operation on Bouvet Island. Twelve years later, a second successful de-expedition to the island was on the air under the same call sign 3Y5X for a period of 16 days, running at the end of December and into the new year of 1990. The operators at 3Y5X succeeded in logging 50,000 QSO contacts with other amateur radio stations around the world. The third amateur radio de-expedition took place in the winter of the year 2007 under the call sign 3Y0E. This event was a scientific event together with approved amateur radio personnel who joined the expedition. Subsequent de-expedition attempts have thus far been unsuccessful. Three years ago, in 2018, a fourth attempt was made under the call sign 3Y0Z, but the specially chartered expeditionary ship developed engine trouble while lying at anchor offshore, and it had to return to South Africa without fulfilling the planned visit onto the island itself. In March of the following year, 2019, another attempt was made with the same ship, though with a new amateur call sign 3Y0I. However, they encountered a massive cyclonic storm with 35-foot waves, 
and thus a landing was impossible and the ship again returned to South Africa unfulfilled. A fourth de-expedition to Bouvet Island was planned for December last year, 2020, though this project was postponed due to the virus pandemic. However, the Norwegian Polar Institute is no longer supporting any de-expeditions to the island as they understand that the weather station may have been swept into the ocean by adverse weather patterns. We might also add that there have been two privately operated de-expeditions to Bouvet Island. In December 2000, the American Dr. Charles Brady, N4BQW, joined an official Norwegian expedition to the island without any prior publicity. When he suddenly went on the air under the call sign 3Y0C, he was instantly swamped with massive pileups. During his three-month stay at the island, he logged 17,000 QSOs. And then during the following year, 2001, world traveller Dominic Grzib, with the call sign 3Z9DX, also landed successfully on the island. According to the listings, Bouvet Island in the South Atlantic is Amateur Radio's second most wanted callsign QSO. Highest on the list is North Korea. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson. Ray is at KVOH in Los Angeles. And by the way, Ray tells us that I thought you might uh, be interested to know that we experienced a brush fire on our antenna field in Zambia on July 22nd. That's at uh, the Voice of Hope Africa, which is affiliated with KVOH. He says, fortunately, surrounding villagers helped our staff to put the fire out before it caused any damages. And we have a couple of photos here that he sent us. Well, that's uh, really good to know. We had a similar situation here at WRMI a few months back, and uh, the fire department helped us put it out before it caused any serious damage. Marcel Roberts in the Netherlands sent us a message about the recent severe flooding in the German-Belgium-Netherlands border area. He says perhaps 200 people lost their lives, mainly in Germany. In the local news, this was called the biggest disaster since World War II. Marcel also sent us a photo of the small shortwave broadcasting center in Kahl, Germany, operated by Christian Milling. Operations were basically stopped during the flooding, but they managed to be quickly back on the air with one transmitter carrying an emergency program on 6005 kHz. The July issue of the Asian DX Review from the Indian DX Club in Kolkata contains a one-page listing of all medium wave stations in India. This listing, as compiled by Jost Jacob, VU2JOS at Hyderabad in Telangana, shows the official call sign for each station running in the English alphabet from VUA to VUZ. Generally, the third letter in each call sign is the first letter in the name of the city where the station is located, though sometimes a number follows the three letters. For example, the call sign VUB4 indicates a transmitter in Bombay or Mumbai, and VUB8 indicates a transmitter in Bangalore. The latest issue of the radio magazine The Sacred Name Broadcaster from WMLK Shortwave in Bethel, Pennsylvania, presents several pictures that show the arrival of their new 300-kilowatt Ampagon shortwave transmitter from Switzerland. The pictures show at least four large semi-trailers loaded with the new radio equipment. Victor Gunatilike in Sri Lanka tells us that Bhutan on shortwave appears to be gone forever. 
India, as you know, the regionals left shortwave other than for Jaipur, 5040, Srinagar, 4960, and Leh, 4760. There was talk of possible gang talk, but nothing heard to date, says Victor. He recently monitored Kyrgyz radio at the fair level, daily with a sign-off at exactly 1800 UTC on 4010 kHz. At midnight UTC, he says Myanmar is heard on 5915, 5985, 6030, and 6165 kilohertz. Their evening schedule on 5915 has a sign-off at 1400 UTC, as does 6165. 7345 kilohertz is active from 1000 to 1330, and Victor says, I'm in the process of chasing on their schedule. Sri Lanka, the SLBC, is on at midnight 30 to midnight 59, 0200 to 0230, also on 11915 kilohertz in Hindi. From 1630 to 1800 UTC to the Middle East on 11750. That's using 125 kilowatts from Trincomalee. Victor says, I can still QSL any reports you guys want. Madagascar is heard most days. I don't think it's anything more than 10 kilowatts now, though. Modulation is good on 5009.912. In other words, almost 5010 kilohertz. From fade-in around 1700 UTC to past 2030 on July 25th. Thank you to Victor Gunatelica in Sri Lanka for those items. Now some shortwave news from Jerry Berg in Lexington, Massachusetts in the United States. He tells us that there is new history material on his website, which is www.ontheshortwaves.com. That's www.ontheshortwaves.com. Halicrafters was one of the biggest names in shortwave receivers, offering numerous models in various price ranges. On that website, under DX History 2, Equipment and Advertising, Jerry says we've posted a 1970 Halicrafters brochure, Shortwave Puts You Where It's At, which gives an introduction to listening beyond the standard broadcast band. It also includes advertising for Halicrafters consumer-grade shortwave receivers, ham transceivers, and utility band handhelds and table models. And under specialized resources, we have two new entries from Adrian Peterson with articles from recent editions of WaveScan. That website again is www.ontheshortwaves.com. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. We now have more details about the 2021 annual meeting of the NASB, the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters in the U.S. It's going to be on Thursday and Friday, September 9th and 10th at WEWN Shortwave in suburban Birmingham, Alabama. To tell you a little bit more about it now, I have Jerry Plummer at WWCR in Nashville, Tennessee with me, and we have Glenn Tapley of WEWN in Birmingham with us by Skype. Well, Jerry, you know, every May, usually, we have a meeting of the NASB, the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, here in the U.S., but uh, we didn't have one last year, did we? 
No, no. You go back farther than I do. That's the first year that I know we've missed, maybe ever. I think so, since 1989 when the organization was founded. And so, uh, but, you know, with COVID, what could we do? It was planned to be at WEWN in Birmingham. And so then (laughs) the conference was changed to this May. And it had to be uh, postponed again because of uh, COVID. But uh, now, now we have um, information. It's been uh, rescheduled to September, and it's definitely going to take place this time. <laughs> I like to say before we get into it, Jeff, I like to say thank you very much to WG Tapley and all the folk at WEWN for being so accommodating and moving around that we could have it in September. And in fact, we have Glenn Tapley with us right now. Uh, yeah, scan to. Uh, Tell us, uh, it's, it's been, uh, it was kind of difficult, though, because of the, the COVID situation. I mean, you guys couldn't have any meetings at all, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, we, uh, we wanted to hold it, but because of the restrictions and everything from, from COVID, we had to put it off. And like you said, we thought we were going to have it in May. And Terry went ahead and vacuumed the floor and everything up at the WEWN facilities, getting ready for the, uh, the meeting. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and so we had to put it off until September when uh, things seem to clear up uh, well enough and and we can hold it. So we're looking forward to it on uh, Thursday, September uh, 9th and 10th will be the, um, the, the dates. Yeah, and, and I guess everybody should come in on September 8th, which is a Wednesday. Right. And uh, fly into the Birmingham Shuttleworth airport and uh if they're going to fly or drive on in and um and we're looking forward to having everybody we have several people who are actually already registered yeah and a lot of people you know have been really waiting <laughs> to, to go to an nesb meeting for a long time now and so uh i think um, i think there should be a good turnout yeah um, so the last time we had it and uh uh alabama we had a good turnout and everybody had a good time i I bet it'll be the same this time yeah in 2013 we had it here and of course we we kind of mustered at the ewtn corporate headquarters right and hotel was close to ewtn and uh, we would ferry on up to the uh, shortwave uh, facility to have the meeting well no we had it here actually and then we we went up there for for a day Right. And, uh, and had it like, like Friday there, if I remember correctly. But I know we had the meeting here and then we went up to shortwave. So we're going to have it this time at the WEWN facilities uh, in Vandiver, Alabama, which is a little town. It's about an hour from EWTN, but where we're staying, it's only about 25 minutes. Okay. So we've got a hotel close to the facilities there, the shortwave facilities, so that we can uh, make sure everybody gets there, you know, uh, quickly and, and close by. So where we're staying, it's really cool. It's uh, there. I mean, there's restaurants and uh, and in places to for entertainment close by, and um, it's in a really good location. The only thing I want to mention is that if you come in from the airport or if you drive in Highway 280, Interstate 280 is is where the hotel is located. It is the busiest road in Birmingham by far. And if you come during drive time, expect to be delayed. The best time to come would be like after 10 o'clock or uh, certainly before uh, 4 or 4.30 or something like that. If you, if you 
do fly in. If not, uh, you'll you'll still get here. And there's also Uber and Lyft you can take if you don't want to right. drive. <laughs> yeah, the Uber X. Uh, I checked on the estimator, and I guess if it's a straight shot in, it'll be about thirty-two dollars. Jerry Plummer of WWCR was with us there, and we were talking with Glenn Tapley of WEWN about this year's NASB annual meeting, which will be on September 9th and 10th in Birmingham, Alabama. All shortwave listeners and anyone with an interest in shortwave radio is welcome to attend. For complete details, go to the NASB webpage, www.shortwave.org, and then click on Annual Meeting Info. Now let's go to Tokyo. Here's Yukiko Tsuji. Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Showtube Club, edited by Toshi Otake, and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. KBS World Radio from Republic of Korea was heard on 11810 kHz on July 4th from 0847 to 0857 UTC in Spanish. SIO rating was 555. Buzon del Radio Escucha, which means mailback program, was broadcast. KTWR from Guam was heard on 11965 kHz on July 1st from 10.55 to the sign-off at 11.35 UTC. SIO rating was 454, then down to 453 at 11.15. Indonesian program was aired until 10.59. Interval signal was played at 1100 after a short break. English program started with Reaching Your World at 11.02, followed by The Lord's Challenge at 11.05, and Bread of Life at 11.20. Reach Beyond Australia was received on 6155 kHz on July 2nd, from the sign-on at 14.30 to the sign-off at 1500 UTC. SIO rating was 443. The program started with the sound of laughing kookaburra, followed by Korean program until 1445, then spotlight in slow speed English focusing zombie. It signed off with the sound of laughing kookaburra. Interference was from China National Radio. Radio Thailand World Service was heard on 15590 kHz on July 4th from 0210 to 0215 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. News program was aired. Baibu Voice Broadcasting via Dushanbe, Tajikistan was heard on 11590 kHz on July 10th from the sign-on at 1300 to 1315 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. Power of the World program was on the air. Pan American Broadcasting via Tashkent, Uzbekistan was received on 7425 kHz on July 4th from the sign-on at 1630 to 1640 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. Tony Alamo Ministries with Religious Talk and Song were aired. BBC World Service via Davaya, UAE, was heard on 5970 kHz on July 3rd from the sign-on at 1901 to 
500 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. News program was broadcast, followed by live coverage of a quarterfinal soccer match of Euro 2020, Ukraine vs. England. Radio Kuwait was heard on 15540 kHz on July 9th, from 1635 to 1700 UTC in Udu. SIO rating was 353. Talk program with local songs was on the air. Adventist World Radio via Madagascar was heard on 15530 kHz on July 4th, from the sign on at 1400 to the sign off at 1428 UTC in Sinhala. SIO rating was 252. Religious talk with local songs was aired. Finally, Japan Showtube Club will issue the QSL cards for the correct reports on that segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl at live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44 Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Motofumi Kai, and Mr. Chiaki Shimada for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Showtube Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. Finally, just want to mention a、uh, reception report we've received from Herbert Tate in Austin, Texas. He heard WaveScan at 0810 UTC on 5850 kHz from Okeechobee, and reception quality was an S9 plus 25. He rated it a SINPO 55555. Excellent signal into Austin, Texas this morning. And thank you for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. We end with the French military march from the Algerian suite, Opus 60, by Camille Sanson. Next week on WaveScan, we'll tell you about some famous radio weddings. And Henry Omarai will be along with his Philippine DX report. Several QSL cards are available for the program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand. Stand by for that. And also to the station that your radio is tuned to WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. 
The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Good listening, everyone.